0: Of ASP and Answered. Um, Today we are very, very fortunate and and thrilled to have Dr. Michael Sachs, uh, who will be joining us and served as president of ASP from 1991 to 1992. He is currently a professor emeritus in the Department of Kinesiology at Temple University's College of Public Health in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, Among the many book chapters and academic articles and presentations Dr. Sachs has published in his career, most may recognize his name as one of the co editors of the Directory of Graduate Programs in Applied Sports Psychology, which is obviously an um, incredibly, incredibly um, important uh, book uh, for, in our profession that is used uh, probably daily. And I think we were on edition 12, 13.
1: Uh, we had uh, Kevin Burke and I uh, collaborated with colleagues on 12 editions, and now and <clears throat> the 13th is, is just about ready for action. Dolores Christensen along with Alan Chu and Sebastian Bruckner are uh, putting it together. I, I, I was thrilled to be asked to, uh, write an introductory chapter for it on what is a sport exercise and performance psychology and have some colleagues, uh, uh, Elijah Carter, so Razan, and Gloria Park who are writing it with me and, uh, it's due, uh, uh, well, it's it's been through a couple of editing cycles, so uh, it'll be finished up this month. I think they're looking forward to have the 13th edition available in September, and it'll be <clears throat> ready for uh, uh, Aspen Fort Worth. Um, uh, I don't remember if they're gonna have a print edition, but certainly it'll be available online, and I'm sure it will continue to be a, a great resource. Kevin Burke and I had fun uh, putting the first one together, uh, it was a little, you know, paper and those little spiral binders. You <laughs> may remember from your youth and so on. Uh, back in 1987, I think was the first one. And then uh, we went to Fitness Information Technology for a bunch of editions and then ASS printed a bunch of editions through the 12th one and now moving on under new leadership with the 13th edition.
2: We... Uh- owe them a book chapter for that. So Dolores and Alan, if you're listening, <laughs> we're working on it.
1: Ah, Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
2: We're just behind. I
1: appreciate you having me here on the uh, the podcast. Uh, looking forward to it.
0: As are we. And, and we can get started um, with just a quick, like your elevator pitch. So like a 30 second um, bio, as you would describe it, as opposed to maybe how we um, introduce you, if it would be any different of, of, you know, just a little bit about where you are right now. No worries to, about getting into like how you got to where you are. We're going to come back to that in a, in a little bit here. So um, if you had a 30 second uh, kind of elevator pitch in terms of where you are and what you're doing right now, what, what would that be?
1: <clears throat> well, I'm enjoying uh, being a retired <clears throat> professor and having a nice blend of doing some work uh, some house yard stuff, some exercise, some family stuff, uh, some naps and so on. So, uh, you know, trying to balance those kinds of things. But from a work perspective, Selen uh, uh, Razan and I have a book called Applied Exercise Psychology that we're uh, finishing up a second edition on. And uh, Bruce Cohen and I have a book called Excuse Size that should be ready uh, for publication shortly. And have another venture called Athletic Forever uh, to work with with athletes, generally post-collegiate athletes who want to stay uh, uh, in an athletic lifestyle, existence, mindset, and how to help facilitate that. So so still keeping uh, pretty active, uh, but also not minding that I don't need to grade papers or go to <laughs> meetings or that kind of thing. So,
0: <coughs> We can send you some of our students. If you, if you do get tired of grading.
1: Ah, okay, great. <clears throat> I guess I, I should put that on sports. Uh, if you need help grading papers, uh, I you know,
0: don't, don't hesitate to call Right, It pays nothing, but you get good experience. Yeah. E- eternal gratitude. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll collect that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: So in this podcast, we hope to better understand how key figures in our field got to where they are today. So could you give us a bit of background on your pathway, either into sports psych or into your professorship or just where you are today?
1: Uh, sure. Well, it's a long and winding pathway as I'm sure it is for many individuals. Um, uh, I was a psychology major in college and, uh, was always sort of a gym rat was always on the playgrounds and so on a uh, big sports fan and sports participate uh, participant uh wasn't a great athlete or anything i was a 13th man on my 12 12 man tennis team in college kind of thing um but i just loved to you know play sports and exercise etc and when i started a, a master's program in general experimental psychology um I don't remember the exact epiphany but uh, or how I got there, but there was an epiphany that, hey, there's a, a world out there that combines my love for sport and my love for psychology. And this was in the fall of 1973. I discovered there was an association called NASPA, North American Society for Psychology, Sport, and Physical Activity. And it was having a conference in uh, at Penn State uh, in June of... Uh, uh, 1974, which wasn't too far away from uh, Hollins College, Roanoke, Virginia, where I was. So signed up to go there, and <clears throat> I was allowed to do a master's thesis that looked at personality characteristics of uh, Davis Junior Davis Cup and Whiteman Cup players of the Roanoke Valley, so sort of tennis, sport personality, tennis players. And, you know, lo and behold, I discovered that there was this small world of sports psychology out there uh, at that point in the early 70s. Um, <clears throat> with a side detour to a one-year and a PhD in social psychology. I found a couple of grad programs. I didn't have the grad directory then, uh, but there were two excellent programs, University of Massachusetts and Florida State. Wind up going to Florida State and uh, had a great PhD program there. Uh, wind up teaching at the University of Quebec at Trois for three years. Decided we didn't want to live in, in that part of Canada for the long term. So <clears throat> moved back to the States and was fortunate in 1989 to uh, get a position at Temple University and was there for 30 years uh, teaching, you know, exercise and sports psychology and mentoring students and doing research. So uh, uh, obviously the field has grown quite dramatically. Um, I'm sure there were, <clears throat> you know, I mean, certainly more than a couple hundred people, but Membership in NASPA might have been three 400. NASPA had also motor learning and motor development. So that expanded the size. But the sports site part, if you go back to ASP and its birth uh, date, I've got numbers here someplace. I don't know. It's in the high uh, three digits, so maybe six 700 people. But now membership, I think, is 3,000 or something like that. And so their field is growing exponentially. It's been need to be to see that to be a part of it. And uh, so now I can be on sort of the outside looking in and contributing in other ways.
2: Well, we're really lucky that you are contributing because that growth doesn't happen without people stepping up to be president of the organization and having such a huge role in that. Um, are there any significant moments that you feel like really formed your experiences in sports psychology?
1: Uh, well, <clears throat> I mean, certainly the support I had in the graduate program uh, <clears throat> from David Parkman and, and Bob Singer at Florida State sort of helped me grow. And then um, <clears throat> I was you know, fortunate to get the position at the University of Quebec, Trois-Rivières, and there were you know, a couple of folks there who were very supportive, so it was a good place to start. Uh, my career. And then certainly, <clears throat> Carol Oglesby and the folks at uh, Temple University, you know, giving me the support there to uh, come on as a faculty member. Um, I think the biggest sort of moment or support was back in, uh, you know, 1985, when I got a, you know, call or an email from, you know, John Silva asking me to be on the original executive board as uh, uh, coordinator of the health psychology section. And so, you know, that was very uh, exciting to be there at the beginning, you know, with uh, with John and Charlie Hardy and Gene Williams and everybody uh, on the original board and to facilitate the formation of ASP uh, and then obviously to help it continue to grow over time. Um, those are sort of the, the formative ones. <clears throat> the other piece would be, as you mentioned earlier, the directory of graduate programs. So, That was sort of a labor of love over the years to put that together. And Kevin Burke was a wonderful colleague. Uh, I mean, he was a student representative back then, obviously became a faculty member later on. I think he might've been at Georgia Southern uh, for a while. He was, yeah. um, But, uh, you know, it was fun to collaborate. And we would trade back and forth. One edition, I would be the first primary editor. Next edition, he would be the primary editor. And we usually would have a student come on as the third editor to, to help out. And so that was nice to sort of be involved, to connect with the various programs and to share information with students. Uh, and hopefully that, you know, uh, I'm sure it did help students uh, along the way to, to find out about programs and get the information they needed. I mean, we always tried to make sure that we didn't want students choosing programs on the basis of just what was in the directory because they needed to Get a sense of what the people were like, what the programs were like, but it was a good place to to start. So I think those were sort of the formative ones, the initial executive board and and the directory, and just the opportunities at Temple University to support over the uh, the years uh, there in the graduate program with a lot of excellent masters and doctoral students over the years.
0: One of the really cool things about the conference is. Um Every once in a while, I don't know if it's like the presidential address or maybe the business meeting or something. That original group that you're referring to, somebody goes into some archive or on their phone or wherever they keep their like pictures, and they bring out the like the pictures from that original group, and then um, we always compare: How did everybody like start out, and what did they look like then at that point, and then. Um, how different is that in terms of where they look, how they look right now? Uh, it's always, a-
1: well, we have gotten a little bit older, but, uh, <clears throat> some of us are better. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. Nags had North Carolina, we had our, you know, weekend meeting, put together the constitution and so on. And then the first, uh, conference that was obviously exciting in Jekyll Island, mm-hmm. uh, Georgia. So, uh, um, I, I'm sure you guys remember your first conference, uh, um, and so on. I think I've been to whatever the number is now, thirty-five, thirty-six. I've been. I've missed it. i missed. I think three. Well, two before the pandemic, and then the pandemic sort of screwed things up. But right. before then, there was just two. Uh, two that I had. Uh, two or three that I had missed. So, so I tried to come regularly. I mean, it's great. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things I recommend for all. Uh, students and professionals and so on, is to attend the conference, not only to share what work you've been, been doing, but also to to network, to, you know, these are your friends, your colleagues, and so on, to keep those connections. You know, these individuals can help collaborate with you on research, uh, be sounding boards for issues that you that you have. They can be uh, folks that you refer students to. You may send your master's students to someplace for you know doctor work i'm sure you guys do that now I and mean, you have an excellent masters program but some of the students who want to go on for a doctoral program you got to send them someplace else so you have people who you have confidence in that you know but some of that is uh, solidified by your connections at at the conference uh, uh, certainly and then for prospective students i tell them to go you, you know although individuals will be on their best behavior the conference behavior you do want to see, you know, how do they act uh, with their with other colleagues, with students, how do they act towards you uh, and so on. You can get a, a visceral sense of is this somebody I want to work with in a master's program or a doctoral program, and that's sort of the key. I mean, you can get an excellent education at many of the places uh, in the directory and so on, but, you know, is this the place you're going to be not only happy for, you know, two, three, four years, depending on what kind of program you're in, Uh, but also where you'll thrive, where you'll get the support you need and learn what you need to be successful depending what your goals are.
0: So if you were to think back to, you know, so 1991 is your presidential year. Um, I'm assuming they were still doing like the presidential trio model at that point as well in terms of the president-elect, past president, like current president. Um, And and so back in 1991... If you can think back to what the field was like prior to you entering that role as president and then what ASP was like, um, could you give us, a, I guess, what your recollection was of, of the organization and the field just prior to you starting uh, your service in this role?
1: Well, certainly, I mean, <clears throat> we were the Association for the Advancement of Applied Sports Psychology, and <clears throat> we were still certainly trying to advance. Um that was a very heady time, if you will, uh, uh, certification was, uh, starting, uh, to be put together. I think it was just about, uh, during that period of time that, uh, you know, sort of got finalized and put in place, but certainly the, the roots of it were, uh, laid and, and there was a lot of great discussion. And so it was a very, um, Uh, if you want to call it intense time from that perspective Um, it was an exciting time it it was a uh, transitional time the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology had started with John Silva as uh, the uh, initial editor and then during my tenure there it we we had the first transition to a new editor so you know that's always uh, you know has some highs and lows associated with it but you know, with, uh, you know, seminal figure like, you know, John Silva, you know, there and moving to, I mean, Joan Duda did did an excellent job as well. And she was an ass president, uh, you know, later on, certainly. Um, But that was sort of, uh, you know, a big time. We, that, you know, we didn't have any uh, management group or company working with us. So this was all volunteer stuff, all stuff that we did on our own. I don't remember now when we first contracted with a management company to do some, provide some support. I mean, it might've been, you know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that. But back then it was all, you know, totally volunteer in the sense that there wasn't somebody we were paying to do any stuff. Uh, um, maybe some people were lucky enough to have a graduate student that they could uh, pay a few bucks to, to do some, uh, some minor things and so on. But, I still remember I have my notes here and so on making a road trip to uh, I have all these places that we considered for the annual conference and then I did a road trip up to Springfield, Massachusetts looked at a couple of places there and then on from there up to Montreal and looked at a couple of places up there and then came back home. I mean it was obviously easier to do that we were in the northeast I guess if, if that was the time when we had to do the southwest I'm not sure kind of would have swung that, but it was a nice drive, a nice trip. And we decided on the Meridian hotel and in, in Montreal, I think the conference went pretty well. Um, I was trying to remember, I know we had a, uh, intestinal bug issue. I think the year before <laughs> Colorado Springs or whatever, the, uh, the banquet, the uh, final banquet, uh, had like 20% attendance something like that. <clears throat> so, uh, I think we made sure there weren't those issues in Montreal, but um, so there were highs and lows. Uh, the other fun stuff we uh, we started a a mastery run, a mastery race. We thought, okay, well, you know, APA had its uh, rat race now, uh, the Ray Fowler race, and so on. But you know, we should have some sport and exercise things going on for for ASP. So <clears throat> some folks did a golf thing before. The first day of the conference, some folks did a tennis tournament. I think Judy Van Wall was in charge of that one. And then I helped with some other folks put together a mastery race. And and But we did it a little bit more creatively, so there were different categories. So there was obviously a performance category for, you know, men and women. But then we had a mastery category, so you had to predict before the race what your finishing time was. And then honor system, you weren't looking at your watch, and to see how close you came to the time so you know even if you were fairly slow but you had a really good sense of your pace and so on you could then um you know win a t-shirt or something like that um because uh, it wasn't just your performance it was that you were your mastery of yourself and your abilities and so on and then of course we had you know teams uh up you know group dynamics and that kind of thing so it was kind of fun to do that uh, but at some point, as we went to some of the bigger cities, we got into getting permit stuff and so on. So unfortunately, the mastery race faded out a bit. But that was fun. Uh, you know, uh, Lake Tahoe and some other places. We had a you know, really nice time uh, one of the morning you get out there at seven and just run. And we had our uh, popsicle sticks and so on for the finishers and so on. Very low key event, but it was a lot of fun. So. Sounds like a lot of fun.
2: Uh, speaking of running, what specifically motivated you to run for president?
1: I think it was sort of a natural progression. I've always enjoyed uh, um, uh, service. Uh, I, I've taken sort of that to heart, you know, trying to give back to the profession and, and working with people in the field. And so I had been on the executive board and the health psychology uh, coordinator, and been active in you know, other professional roles with ASP and sort of, you know, that was, uh, seemed like, you know, uh, something I aspired to. I thought I could do a good job uh, leading the organization and uh, was fortunate to be asked and then to be elected. So, um, but yeah, that was one of my goals. I also, you know, uh, was president of division 47 of APA um, back in the 2000s, some, somewhere there. And, uh, so there are a couple of us who have done both. Uh, nobody's up there with Penny McCullough. I think she's, huh. she's done NASPA and a couple of others, whatever. So Penny is the star from that vantage point, but, uh, uh, but some of us are really into the service aspect and, and place that, you know, very
0: highly. When you stepped into that role or, or when you, uh, begin your service um as uh as president what what did you hope to accomplish at that time
1: uh well i had a bunch of uh <clears throat> things on my agenda and i think we got them going i mean one <clears throat> was to keep the ball rolling with a number of the initiatives that were ongoing uh particularly with certification um to facilitate the smooth transition from john to to joan as editor of, of jasp um uh, but then there are two sort of initiatives I was particularly interested in. One was the uh, uh, putting together a uh, uh, diversity committee uh, that, you know, it was clear that ASP wasn't particularly uh, diverse, particularly from a racial ethnic standpoint, um, uh, some gender to some degree as well, but particularly racial and ethnic standpoint. And so put together a committee that was charged with, uh, trying to identify some strategies for increasing uh, racial and ethnic diversity within the organization. And that, I think, committee was uh, went on for quite a number of years and I think did some good work uh, over time. Uh, and then also started the, something we call the Sports Psychology Council. I uh, thought, you know, there were a number of organizations between uh, Division 47 of APA and then, of course, NASPA and ISSP, um, and FEPSAC and so on. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice to have some collaboration amongst the various organizations so that maybe there were some projects that we could collaborate on or at least communicate with each other what was going on. So um, so we decided to, uh, it was generally uh, some of the, either the president or representatives from most of those organizations would attend ASP, uh, not directly as representatives per se, but as as uh, conference attendees, but they happened to be, you know, cha- uh, president, let's say. And so uh, for many years before the annual last conference, we would have a couple of hour meetings, site Council, and different folks would come in and they'd share what their organizations were doing. And we could see how other organizations could collaborate with them or some projects that, that, you know, over the years wound up uh, being able to do. Uh, Judy Van Raal took it over after... A decade or so I mean I, I was continued to head it coordinate facilitated after I finished my presidential role and my time on the executive board she took it over and I think it's still ongoing now uh, I mean it doesn't have a high profile role but the uh, communication piece I think is an important one and uh, you know helpful to, to certainly keep going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I've submitted a few reports to, to Judy, so it is still up and running. uh oh, great. Well, I think so. Okay, excellent, excellent. And I, and I honestly, I hadn't realized that you were responsible for getting that, um, getting that moving. Uh, that's absolutely wonderful.
1: Yeah, well, it uh, has, has a long history. Gets you know started. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, you know, there were a number of organizations going on, doing their own thing, and it seemed like some communication uh, was uh, some a little bit more formal process of communicating to facilitate that uh, rather than the, just let it happen organically, uh, which it certainly could have, but, uh, uh, you know, certainly d- wouldn't hurt to have some additional lines of communication going on.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, you, so you, you mentioned a number of things that you were able to accomplish. Um, or would you add anything else to that list in terms of, like, as as, as president that, um you know, that you felt like were really substantial accomplishments beyond anything that you've already shared with us?
1: I think those were the main ones. I mean, I think we had a successful conference in Montreal. Um, that was also, I guess the other piece there, that was the first conference that had been done in conjunction with another group. So this was with, uh, uh, SCAPS or, uh, the Canadian society for psychomotor learning and sports psychology. Um, And so it was a joint conference with the Canadian group. Uh, I think we may have had one or two others over the years since then. Um, But again, the idea of trying to facilitate, it's not just the United States ASP thing, but that, you know, we want to coordinate the, uh, if anything, the Canadians have had or have had a stronger presence, uh, particularly in terms of governmental support and academic presence within sports psychology Uh, The United States has been much more, uh, I guess, hit and miss and so on. Certainly no governmental support per se. There have been occasional grants that people have gotten, uh, but the Canadians have, you know, from the beginning been very supportive, um, not only philosophically, but financially of research and applied work within sports psychology more so than here uh, in the United States. It's
2: interesting. I wonder... I wonder why that is like what the, I'm sure there's lots of reasons why, but it's interesting to see that it would be so different than maybe what it looks like here.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we do have, uh, uh, let's see, uh, there are a couple of Canadian, I mean, Natalie Duran Bush, if you interview her, she mm-hmm. might have some thoughts on that. Larry Brawley was president right before me. So, uh, he might have some thoughts as well. And, uh, um, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, there's some other presidents as well who, uh, uh, you know, Canadian who, uh, would be, you know, worth asking and seeing what, what they have to, they have to say.
2: Absolutely. Okay. I'm really looking forward to this question. We would love for you to tell us a fun story from your time in the field's, um, anything goes. Whatever you would like to share. Um, bonus points if your story involves other ASP members.
1: Um, A <clears throat> uh, fun story, and so on. I, I mean, some of the the fun times have been at the uh, uh, the banquets and the post. Uh, <clears> the <throat> still remember the one in New Orleans
2: uh, and the Mardi Gras
1: <laughs> one. I think that was particularly. Uh, enjoyable. Um, uh, sometimes pre, I mean, I know when we were up in Banff, uh, a couple of us, Bonnie Berger and uh, a couple of folks, uh, we went, uh, you know, driving around some sightseeing. So that's sort of a nice aspect of, of going to some of these, uh, you know, exotic uh, places. Um, I mean, the fun part for me is is seeing friends who I don't get to see otherwise uh, uh you know I mean you can talk to them on the phone and that kind of thing but you know you get to have a breakfast or lunch or dinner or uh, um so Rob Schinke for example I'm trying to remember I mean he he's also ISSP president so hopefully you get to interview him as well but he can talk about the Canadian experience uh, mm-hmm. but we would have breakfast uh course, quite a number of conferences beforehand just uh you know, talk about things and about life and about ASP, et cetera. So uh, it's those personal connections, I think, that, that really were the, the fun part of it, the lunches, the dinners with, with, with friends. And, and then also, I mean, the fun part for me is meeting students and so on. So, uh, you know, students might come up and ask for some, have questions, ask for some advice, that kind of thing. Usually you would send them off to the directory <laughs> uh, for some of those answers but uh, um, but that's always been the fun part just connecting with uh, with people and then the last part was sort of seeing former students you know those who've graduated and gone on to apply positions academic positions and then reconnecting with them at the conference it's always wonderful to catch up and find out how they're doing so
2: yeah absolutely that's nice Thanks for sharing. Now we get to go to exotic locations like Orlando.
1: <laughs> in the what? Uh,
2: now we get to go to exotic locations like Orlando, Florida, as opposed to <laughs> Banff. <Bamp> for-
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it were much neater locations like you know Lake Tahoe and uh, right, <clears throat> uh, and as you said in Banff. Uh, I'm trying to think some other neat ones. I mean, <clears throat> we were in St. Louis, which it was just a nice little setting. But now, I mean, Las Vegas was not, uh, (laughs) I didn't miss not going there again. Orlando, again, it's, uh, uh, I mean, there's a reason. That's part of the the issue with Aspen. Now it's gotten too big to be in these smaller places. And I think now this may be the first one we're actually going to be in a convention center Mm
0: -hmm. in Fort
1: Worth. So, I mean, that's the good news that we're big enough to warrant that. But the bad news is the, You don't have these kind of neater cities like Jekyll Island, Georgia, which is very cool place or Nashua, New Hampshire, We went to, you know, some, some neat kind of smaller places, but, you know, we can't do that anymore, which is a, I mean, it's okay. It's just the growth of the organization, but, um, so that's why the regional conferences are really fun. So actually we had fun doing that. We had 21 years of, uh we're called NASP the Northeast Atlantic Sports Psychology Conference uh <clears throat> that we put on at Temple um <clears throat> you know that was a regional ASP conference I think we were the second group to do that the, the mid uh, Midwestern I think might have been a year ahead of us or something like that uh but they moved around to various schools in mean, Michigan State and, and Bowling Green and so on uh but we were just in the one place uh and actually one of the fun parts there was uh when ASP was in Hawaii, that was one year we couldn't go. So we decided, well, if we couldn't go to Hawaii, we would bring Hawaii to us. So on the Friday <laughs> night of the conference, we had our own little mini-conference, and we got lays for everybody, and we brought in pizza with pineapples on it and so on. And we just had a little sort of mini-conference for those who couldn't go to Hawaii. <clears throat> they wanted to stay local. So, uh, uh, So that was kind of... Uh, kind of fun. But uh, but you're right. Yeah, we're now sort of restricted to some of the larger uh, cities and convention centers. And as I said, there are pluses and minuses to all those things. But the regional conferences will be helpful there because you'll have another opportunity in your general geographical area to go something in a smaller supportive kind of setting.
0: I I don't know if you remember this or not, Michael, but I think it must have been like 2009, maybe 2010. I was working at Kansas State, and I made the trip to Philly for your conference, and you gave I was you gave me an award, which was like the longest journey
1: because everyone there. I'm afraid I don't remember that, but I'm glad we did that.
0: Most folks were obviously in the area, you know, that attended, and I flew out from Kansas City. Um, and you kindly gave me that award. Um, I have not received a plaque or any stipend that comes with that. So I don't know if it's just held up or um, when can I expect the, uh, the, the money, the cash I'm award? I'm sure it's for in that. the
1: mail. If you can follow okay. up with an email, I'll, I'll
0: check into that.
1: Um, I appreciate uh, we it. We might have to go back and check because I know there were many years when we had, would have somebody from California. So no, I'm wondering yeah. if there might have been a mistake that you would. <laughs> make. So uh, I'll have to uh, go back. Price Waterhouse might have the uh, uh, the original envelope, but uh, right. we'll, we'll see what we can do. Maybe a beverage of your choice in Fort Worth. We'll make up for that.
0: All right, deal, deal.
1: <laughs> we can negotiate.
0: I I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, in what ways would you say you feel like the field, um, not necessarily ASP specifically, but, but it could include ASP, how would you say the the field has evolved? Um, you know, when you think about the direction that we've gone, and it's not always, I realize, been in a linear direction, that, you know, there have been a lot of curves, and, um, you know, uh, for a variety of reasons, um, you know, maybe a change in course. So whether, you know, the, you, you would describe them as more, you uh, I hate saying good and good or bad, but uh, but we could say good or bad in terms of maybe what your what your thoughts are um, about some of the decisions that were made and, and the direction we're going. How would you how would you describe that or evaluate that?
1: Well, certainly there's been uh, <clears throat> exponential growth in terms of the the field from a couple of perspectives. I mean, one, I think the general public, particularly athletes, uh, coaches as well, but sport governing bodies are, are certainly very aware of what sports psychology is and particularly more recently, the mental health issues that, you know, athletes, uh, coaches as well, but particularly athletes deal with. And so I think one of the nice things is that that is being addressed. Um, uh, all or almost all of the 129 FBS schools I think, have probably sports psych folks there are certainly under, uh, you know, contract as consultants, et cetera. And some of the schools have two, three, four people on staff. So there's been a wonderful growth there. <clears throat> there are a number of Division II and Division III schools that are hiring sports psychology folks. So I, I think that's been very exciting, not only in terms of, you know, job opportunities, certainly for our graduates, but in terms of providing those kinds of services to athletes in need Now some of that is uh, performance enhancement focus rather than necessarily mental health uh, uh mental you know health and wellness focus but um you know there's been a obviously a growth in that as well um i think our field has been saved in a sense if you will by uh the military options uh, i think there are some 300 individuals mm-hmm. who are employed um particularly by the army, but also I think Navy and air force have them as well. Um, you know, I don't know where those people would be if that those, that kind of opportunity were not available. So uh, right. I think we have to, you know, give special award or credit to Nate Zinser back in 89 or whatever, the center for enhanced performance at West point. And uh, to be honest, I don't know the exact story. It'd be somebody, good to talk with, but at some point, one of the generals there, or the, you know, commander of the West Point, so if this this is good for the cadets in general, uh, you know, and for the, if this is good for the athletes, you know, maybe good for cadets in general, and then beyond that, maybe good for our enlisted folks, uh, and so now, you know, they're at, you know, the ready and resilient are at 14 bases or something like that, and as I said, employees and 300 individuals. So, um, so there are a lot of folks coming in. Uh, my fear is that uh, the bad part or whatever <clears throat> is that there are too many folks who are just getting their master's degree, getting sort of a basic understanding of some performance enhancement, you know, mental skills, mental coaching kind of background, a little bit of counseling, and then off they go trying to, you know, be consultants and they don't have quite the background uh, that they really need to be that effective. Fortunately, I don't think they're doing much harm and so on. They just may not be as helpful as they could be, uh, but they're also going to be disappointed that the opportunities are not there for somebody with just a master's degree and who wants to do performance enhancement work. Um, if you have a real entrepreneurial spirit, you have some background, some you know money behind you and so on, it can, wait it out until your practice takes off. That's great, but I think there are very few people who have a full-time private practice and performance enhancement consulting, uh, per se. Now, there are more folks who are doing, who have uh, psych backgrounds. Now, it could be, you know, an LPC, a master's level background, which is fine, but uh, a lot of folks who are licensed psychologists uh, who are being successful, some in private practice. So, Kenza Gunter, who's just... uh, uh, transitioning out as uh, past president, uh, and then Bob Harmison, who's coming in as president of ASP, um, you know, he's, he's in the academic side of the, uh, you know, mental, mental health, uh, uh, counseling side of things. So, so there are lots of opportunities, lots of ways in which we're doing, uh, good things, but I think we also need to, um, Work with our students and so on, give them a realistic perspective of what's out there. And then also the current issues that are ongoing about performance psychology. So, you know, the fact that you may get an excellent education in sport doesn't automatically give you the skill set to work with uh, police, firefighters, uh, dancers, musicians, and so on. Um, I mean, it's a start, but. I think too many people think they can just automatically do the performance stuff and business and industry as well, and it's not such a direct transition. So uh, I don't know if the graduate programs, how well they're doing a good a job of preparing students for that. Uh, I mean, you're interviewing me, but I could ask you guys <laughs> what the is doing from a performance psych standpoint. Do you have a course? Do you have some training? Somebody who has some of that expertise who's mentoring students? Uh, I mean, that's a question for all. The programs out there, some of them do have that expertise, but I think you know most do not, and that that's where some of the certification of graduate programs. I think the uh, the field is going in that direction, and uh, so I think that will be helpful, assuming the uh, graduate program criteria are strong enough to provide the kind of background that will be meaningful for students, so that they can um, have realistic job prospects once they finish. Uh, the ones who are going to be LPCs or licensed psychologists, there will be job opportunities for them in in sports settings and athletics departments and so on. Um, the, the other ones will have some opportunities in the military, but I, I mean, I know of a few people who've been in the military positions for 10, 15 years or longer, but uh, I don't know how many people are really doing that with the idea that they'll be in there for 30 years or something like that, or whether it's great for three, four, five years experience and then move on, but move on to what? Particularly if you right. don't have the counseling or clinical background.
2: So. Could you speak a little more to where you think the field is going?
1: Well, I think the field is going two directions. One, certainly <clears throat> performance psychology will be a more, uh, um, <clears throat> a bigger area. I, th- I think people are uh, outside of sport are interested in what <clears throat> sports psychology has to offer in terms of the psychological skills. Uh, they're recognizing that. And I think we can meet a need that's out there. We can be helpful from that vantage point. Um, and then I think the mental health side as things, I think athletes are realizing uh, that the psychological aspects, the, uh, the clinical aspects of performing performance are tied in intertwined with, with some of the psychological skills of goal setting and <clears throat> imagery and arousal control and so on and so getting that skill set and and finding the right people who can be helpful um is uh, i think something that will continue to develop and will be great because i think we can do excellent work there and be helpful to athletes you know not only at the olympic level but you know, at the collegiate level, and then particularly the area I would like to see a lot of work done is with youth sport, you know, mm-hmm. children and adolescents. I mean, <clears throat> I see on Sports a, a listserv, you know, I've got 9 year old who's got some anxiety issues, anybody out there in this geographical area who can help this kid, you know, that's really sad to, to see that. I mean, it's not surprising, you know that, but, you know, uh, but we have to realize that, You know, the kids are, uh, you know, need some services as well. And I'm hopeful that some of this work will filter down to the private school and high school level. I I know there is work being done there, but, uh, you know, I would tell some of my students who would say, well, I want to work with the professional teams or the Olympic athletes. So that's great. That's fine. But, you know, there are only a few positions out there. It's tough to get in there. You know, you might want to consider also, You know, the high school kind of adolescent level, you know, when you get to college, not that, you know, the uh, the students or the athletes know everything already, but they they think they do some of the time. But you can have a really tremendous influence with adolescents because they really are in the formative stages of their development. And most of them, I think, are willing to listen. They won't listen to us, their parents, you know, but they'll listen to somebody else right you're this sort of the expert they're the coach the mental skills coach or something you know they will listen and you can have a tremendously uh developmental formative influence on children and adolescents that um that you know will go beyond the kinds of effects you may be able to have at the collegiate level or professional or olympic level so a lot of exciting ways i think uh i think the future is is exciting for our our field and uh uh hopefully i'll be around long enough to see some of those uh, continue along uh Bert Gaigus made it into his mid 90s so uh, i have my goal there to <laughs> get to 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 his point uh,
0: at least so it might have been all the dancing he did at the uh, banquet that uh you know allowed him to be such an impactful <laughs> professional in the organization absolutely there
1: we go there we go <laughs>
0: Part of that, I think, is
1: also hopefully a model for other presidents that he, you know, he had a skill set, a knowledge base that um, was important for students to learn. He had a wonderful connection with the folks at Springfield, you know, college, and he wanted to share that. And so I'd like to think that that sort of kept him young a bit that, you know, I mean, his personality was a big part of that. But he was willing to share and people wanted to listen. And so, feeling needed in that way, I think is 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 great. And so, I think that's helpful for keeping your sense of of purpose and keeping going. Uh, so, and I think he, um, you know, he was a wonderful president of the organization, and uh, you know, wonderful to see him at conferences. Everybody would flock around and <laughs> <I'd> talk <laughs> with him, and so on. Yep. So.
0: Yep. They sure would. Absolutely. If you were speaking with a, you know a group of students or even like early career professionals, are there any you know um, pieces of advice or anything in particular that you would share with them that you think would be really important for them to know as they were to either get going you know within the field or you know anything along those lines? Uh, well, certainly,
1: <clears throat> you know being a lifelong learner <clears throat> is a key aspect. So reading, uh attending conferences and so on is is uh, sort of a basic key element of that that uh there's so much information out there i mean there's almost a need to specialize some degree but just to keep uh to the degree that you can to keep up with the field uh but beyond that uh, in terms of attending the conferences to make the connections with your uh with your colleagues with your friends so Uh, you know, Brandon, I know you graduated from West Virginia University. I'm sure you keep connections with, you know, some of your fellow students from there and so on. Those are lifelong connections that you have made. And those are people that you can call upon, not only for collaboration on research or applied work, or, um, you know, uh, service kinds of activities, uh, but also just, you know, counseling, just the hey, I need to bounce some ideas off of you. I've got this stuff going on. Uh, and particularly, you know, for those in academia, fine. Or if you're in private practice, a lot of people would call on Kate Hayes, for example, or Jack Lesick to to pick their brain on, you know, what their thoughts are, you know, and trying to survive in that kind of world, et cetera. So I think the key, making those connections, keeping those connections, um, and... Uh, uh, just being that lifelong learner. Uh, yeah. And then continuing to exercise, you gotta be physically, <laughs> active. gotta get out there. Uh, we've got to, you know, uh, walk the walk, not just talk to talk kind of thing. So. Right. Absolutely.
2: Michael, what do you hope your impact is going to be on the field?
1: Uh, I hope people will remember me for being, uh, a good colleague and trying to be supportive of the field from, uh, uh, you know, a service standpoint, uh, um, you know, I mean, my time as president wasn't, uh, um, uh, you know, mind blowing in terms of anything special happening per se. So, you know, that wasn't when uh, certification was finally approved or the name, the conference, the association changes name or that kind of thing. Um, Uh, probably the most enduring aspect will be the directory of graduate programs. I think a lot of people have found that helpful over the years. And I think that's, um, if you want to call a legacy or something like that, that will be there having gotten that started and developed it over the years and now it's going to be continued. So, so hopefully just the idea of, uh, educating people as to what's available, giving them choices, uh, asking them to make sure they have a realistic idea of what they're getting into. But also, you know, if you go into a master's program, you're not making a lifetime commitment, go in, you have a two year experience. You see if this is the field for you, or these, you know, the kind of work environment you want to be in and so on. Um, we had that for athletic training uh, in my department at Temple. Uh, it seems very glorious. You see, Oh, look at these, you know, trainers on the sideline and they're running onto the field and that kind of thing. Uh, well, you know, when you get to the real life of the athletic trainer, you know, they're in the, in there at 5.30, 6.00 AM They maybe they're for games, finishing up at 10, 11 at night, they're in the training room all the time, athletes, coaches, everybody wants everything now kind of thing. It's an extremely demanding, uh, life lifestyle doesn't pay all that well and so on. So, uh, you know, you really want to know what you're getting into. And so those kind of informational interviews with people in the field who are doing the kind of thing that you're thinking of doing is important for people to get. Yeah, we want people in the field who are passionate about it. And if they're not sure they want to be here, then we want them to find what they're passionate about to do the thing that makes them happy and can provide, you know, standard of living that they would uh, would like uh, to have. But, but we want people committed who are going to help. Athletes, coaches, administrators, and so on do uh, do the best they can, achieve their goals, and so on.
0: You you've given us so many wonderful, uh, just shared so many wonderful experiences, and uh, you know just uh, nuggets. I think throughout everything, um, is there anything maybe we have not asked you that you think would be important um, to ask, or anything that you would share? about ASP or the field that maybe we just didn't, um, we just didn't ask you about, but nonetheless, it's uh, a message that you would like to make sure is, is, um, you know, shared with the, what we hope are tens of thousands of listeners. Um, uh, but it could also just be the tens of listeners. Uh, we don't know yet. <laughs>
1: well, I'm sorry to hear that. I thought this would have like millions of uh, I, well, <laughs> yeah, out there and, and uh, it would be, uh, uh, a vibrant moment, or, to, or it would take off. What's the? Uh, I'm blanking on the word. Viral. It goes viral. 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 Yeah. viral. Yeah. we go. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Here's your chance. Here's your chance to say something provocative that goes uh, viral.
1: <laughs> ah, there we go. Well, that that's not me. I don't think, but um,
2: <laughs>
1: I think the uh, <clears throat> the two things I would sort of leave with one. Uh, The importance of doing good work. So uh, uh, getting the the knowledge base, the training, being a lifelong learner, um, getting mentored by good people and so on so that you can help others. I mean, uh, when when I would interview students who apply to our program, I would ask them, you know, why they're interested in sports psych, what they're passionate about, but how will they make a difference in the future? And so I think it's important to sort of pay it forward kind of thing to make a difference in people's lives. And so the question is, how are you going to go about doing that? It's not about getting a paycheck and so on. I mean, that's, we understand you've got to live, but, you know, the, the, this is a helping profession. So how will you make a difference in people's lives? And then I would also strongly encourage folks to uh, consider service, that uh, give service back to the organization. doesn't have to be becoming president of, ask or so on, but there are lots of committees to join. You can do regional conferences and so on. Uh, you can do local things, state state associations or psych associations, et cetera. Uh, there are lots of different ways to give back to the profession, to provide service. And it doesn't have to involve you know tons of hours a week or that kind of thing. But everybody has a skill set that they can, I think, contribute. And again, the idea of giving back to To the profession is important uh, for people to consider, and that I hope both students as well as professionals will keep that in mind. Uh, Uh, And we appreciate uh, your your talk with me today. It was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Yes, we we asked and Dr. Michael Sachs answered today. So Michael, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us Um, and. We are going to get this into the millions upon millions, so we know that there'll be a lot of folks that are going to um, get the chance to hear hear your uh, you know your stories and, and what that was like for you, you know, in '91, and then obviously up until uh, this point too. So, thank you for being so candid with us and taking the time to to share your, your experiences with everybody. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it. We appreciate it.